Opera acknowledges the traditional owners of country throughout Australia and the continuing connection to lands, waters, and communities. We pay our respects to Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander cultures and elders, past, present, and emerging. Welcome to Taking Care, a podcast of opera and the national boards. I'm Susan Bigger. So today we're talking about improvement in healthcare. This is something that is critically important for our health system because sustained improvement that tracks with the science and the evidence will mean improved patient safety. And that's what our health system in Australia, well, all health systems should provide. But is improvement built in? Does our health system make time and space and develop the skills in our healthcare leaders to ensure that we have the frontline expertise in both traditional and new approaches to improvement and safety? Well, my guests today are coming at this topic from a very hands-on practical perspective. They're all involved in, in ways that they'll explain in a unique program called the Healthcare Improvement Fellowship run by Clinical Excellence Queensland. Dr. Michael Tresillian is a general physician and program director for the Healthcare Improvement Fellowship. Thanks, Susan. Sorry, Holland is a midwife and unit manager at Townsville Hospital. She was a 2020 fellow of the program. Hi. Shale Maharaj is a physiotherapist at Queensland Children's Hospital and a current fellow. Welcome. Hi, Susan. Michael, let's start with you. Can you tell us a bit about yourself and um, maybe what your connection is to our other guests or to improvement? Through my registrar years as an advanced training in general medicine at Royal Brisbane Hospital and was uh, shoulder tapped to apply for an academy for emerging leaders in patient safety that was being run by the Clinical Excellence Commission in New South Wales. And I got into that and attended and that's where I sort of found my clan. It was a place where people could have honest and open discussions around patient safety. And um, from there, I met our um, current Deputy, uh, Director General, John Wakefield, who um, was on faculty and he became my mentor. And um, after that, I was pushing John for an opportunity to progress in this space and maybe take on a fellowship overseas. And he thought, well, why don't we start one here? So we got the wheels rolling. Um, and I, myself and two other colleagues, um, ended up being um, the first cohort of fellows where we were immersed in this sort of higher level statewide function called Clinical Excellence Queensland um, to really get a look at improvement and at these levels and see behind the scenes of how it all works. Um, and we also had the opportunity to really scope out the literature and have a look at what's what's out there beyond current practice. Um, and from there, we um, spent a year as clinicians kind of, I guess, sucking it and seeing what are the kind of things that make sense to us that sit out there beyond the traditional improvement approaches that we use. And um, we we built a curriculum and spent the next, we spent the next three years in a process co-designing that curriculum with a, a group of fellows each year um, to really start to embed some of these ways of thinking in, in, in our future leaders, um, but also to you know test for best fit what really what's that what out there fits um, to the lived experience of, of of frontline clinicians who are passionate about change. Fantastic. Well, it sounds like um, the loss for overseas is our gain for Australia. So I'm glad you stayed here to do it here. Uh, so how about Shale? Could you tell us a bit about yourself and how you ended up in the program? This is actually my, it's a big birthday year for me. It's my, like my 20th year working as a pediatric rehab physio um, uh, here in Brisbane. And, um, and for me as a physio, improvement is uh, what my work is all about, gaining clinical improvement in the lives of kids and families, 
that have endured, you know, catastrophic injury or illness. So that's my day-to-day work. But improving how we go about getting those clinical improvements is also an important part of uh, all the work that we do in healthcare. So when I noted, uh, it was three years ago, I noted that the this health improvement fellowship, uh, but I got the email too late. Um, and so I couldn't um, end up applying <laughs> um, in that year. Uh, but the following year, I had also committed to doing a new consultant training role, which was looking at clinical excellence. And, and that really opened up my, up my eyes to the fact that, you know, healthcare improvement, you know, you need some skills. And um, and I still had plenty to learn. So finally, in the third year that I saw it there, I made sure I put my best foot forward <laughs> to get into the program. And I was fortunate to be given the opportunity to learn about how we can be doing healthcare improvement differently. Fantastic. Well, we can't wait to hear some of what you've learned. And sorry, what about you? Um, we know you're a midwife. Maybe a, you could tell us a bit about your healthcare path or journey and, um, and how you became interested in patient safety. Uh, I um, became a midwife in um, 1999 and I've always been a little improver. So um, I think the first project I ever undertook was starting a birth after cesarean class with one of our staff specialists. And um, I just naturally am drawn towards trying to make things better, understanding systems. And um, when the program was advertised it was the first time I'd seen the program Um, I applied and was really shocked to gain a place um, as it was highly sought after and um, the year like the 2020 it was COVID year so there was lots of changes but um, we managed to push through the fellowship and it was it was like I had been given a toolbox that I needed back in 1999 because you spend your time doing improvement projects and sometimes they work and sometimes they don't and the fellowship showed me why sometimes they it didn't work and um, you know what tools I needed to really make um, a good chance for positive change in um, my workplace. So we're talking today about patient safety in healthcare which is a long and complex history it's linked to many other industries workplace safety aviation safety um, and, and many concepts that are really important. I, I can think of one, for instance, the Swiss cheese model, which is this an idea of, of the holes all lining up sometimes and harms sneaking through them to cause a, a patient safety error. But thinking has probably continued to evolve. Um, and so maybe a good place to start is if I ask you, sorry, to provide an example of the way, well, historically, we might have addressed a safety error. And maybe how we might do it differently in the current thinking. You know, there's always the example of the registered nurse that would make a, that would be involved with a medication error in the, on the ward. Um, you know, our old thinking would be the nurses and following the policy, which led to, you know, using the Swiss cheese policy, the, you know, the policy stops uh, error from occurring. Um, and um, that would be case closed. We wouldn't look any further to look for underlying reasons as to why this occurred. And um, when we look at it from um, different perspectives, from more mature patient safety perspectives, we can see that there's lots and lots of reasons um, why that may have occurred. It may be that actually no registered nurse can follow that um, procedure or guideline because it doesn't fit to work as done. And you know, um, the way the guideline was written is more imaginary. You know, that's what we think happens, but isn't actually what happens. So, um, you know, a lot of the patient safety thinking is 
um, encouraging us to really understand what's happening in the workplace. What does a task look like when it's um, when it's efficient? What happens when it's a high workload? Um, you know, um, clinicians are always making trade-offs in their working day to make sure work is safe and of a high high quality. Um, and so we need to understand what that looks like. Um, so now, when uh, um, a registered nurse is involved in a medication um, error then we can look at it and we can um, perhaps look at, you know, was there a um, ordering issue? Is there any, um, was there workload issues? Um, you know, was the medication in a similar box to another medication? You know, there's um, always deeper things at play and other system improvements that we can look at to try and make um, the work task safer. And it sounds like that's more likely to lead to, um, and we can talk about that later, but lead to improvements or leads to ways of fixing it rather than just saying, well, humans make mistakes. Yeah, which is actually a really easy way to close the book on an incident. It's kind of, you know, okay, that's an easy way. You can see why this um, thinking was um, permeated so far into healthcare and other industries. Mm, but really frustrating from a patient perspective. Shale, what about you? Do you have any uh, examples you, of what you've experienced in your work as a physio? Uh, in the place that I work, um, obviously we deal with uh, a fair bit of equipment and uh, a fair bit of equipment that needs uh, modification and changes as kids um, slowly progress through their rehabilitation. And um, and, you know, so there's, there's occasions where um, things may not be um, completely um, uh, fitting uh, as, as you want it to. And um, rather than blaming a person and, and taking an approach where, oh, no, this, this physio needs more training on how to use this piece of equipment or how to set it up better, um, you know, the, that Swiss cheese model, you know, it, um, it forces you into a way of thinking. So if you think that that's how how um, error occurs, then you go, okay, how many more pieces of Swiss cheese can I put there to prevent the error occurring? And uh, so you take a very linear approach to how you might try and solve the issue rather than looking at the context in which some of that happened. Did we have the right equipment available? You know, did, um, uh, was the change happening at a, at a rate that required more frequent reviews? Um, any of those types of things where you're looking at the, the issue um, as a complex system, not, not just a simple uh, a simple error. Uh, Michael, do you want to talk a bit about um, any work that you're, that's trying to understand or apply this science in a real life setting? Is that what's going on in Australia or what's going on in the rest of the world? No, this, these are new ways of thinking and they're, they're new on a, on a global scale. So a lot of industries are sort of trying to absorb and understand how they might inform improving their own safety profiles going forward. So um, healthcare is, we're at the beginning of, 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 a, of a new way of thinking and there's certainly things going on around the world in places um, uh, really I guess trying to build awareness of of these new approaches and and and, and groups uh, putting them in practice within Queensland Health we've also been I guess looking at space and probably in an agnostic way as to do these new ways bring value and and how do they how do they fit and what value can they bring um, you know one of our I guess a fellowship is part of a, a greater transformational plan around changing the paradigms about how we approach safety and improvement. And Satyan Chari, who's one of our colleagues, is a program director of a Bridge Labs project, which is incorporating academic expertise into the workplace and really seeing um, what comes out of that interaction. And, and they've been looking at um, bringing 
building capability amongst our uh, some of our healthcare workers and safety officers around um, new ways to approach incidents that 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 guide the um, I guess researcher to um, or investigator to um, take on a more systemic lens rather than focus on the uh, on, on that messy front line where things where things happen, but probably was the result of numerous a constellation of of things happening. Um, so they force you down that road a bit, and um, we're sort of saying look and compare as to what benefits they bring in. And some of our past fellows have have, have been doing that as well in their own groups, and even having um, sort of publicised grand rounds where they apply that approach, compare the new insights to to the pre-existing insights they might have had around investigations where things went wrong. So one of the things I'm, I'm thinking about is, and whether wonder if you could speak about, is um, how you test what's working and what's not working as well as it should. It, it just, it feels to me to be more complicated in, I suppose, riskier in healthcare. And to some extent, you could see why people would stick with what they know because they know it's safe. So what does that look like? Um, Shale, can we start with you? Do you have any thoughts about how how that process works? Obviously, I'm, I'm starting to, to learn um, more about this. And um, look, one of the things um, I just wanted to share, it's like something that um, I recall even at my uni days being taught a great deal about. And even when you start working, the main sort of message you hear is don't stuff up. Uh, and so um, it, it creates a climate where, um, if you're someone who likes to um, try different things and see how it goes, then you know that can be frowned upon sometimes. So I think that um, what we what we see in healthcare is that it's a complex system, and we're trying to um, uh, create it into becoming a learning system. So it's a place where we need to find in our own uh, places that we work. How's how can we be trialing and testing often so that we can learn and refine. Um, and uh, I think that helps us get that emergence of safety rather than, you know, um, trying to move away from making errors. You know, we tell our own kids, you know, you make mistakes, learn from them. We just need to make them in a, in a way and in a climate that allows us to learn. But it also, and we, we don't have time to talk about the blame culture, but it also seems like it would be really important in that space of addressing um, the system that feels safe for patients, but also safe for clinicians to understand. Yeah. Sorry, I wonder as a midwife, how do you justify time spent away from the bed um, thinking about better ways of working? You know, is this something we should be prioritizing or do we not have time for it? <laughs> Uh, well, I'm a manager, so I get the pleasure of spending time with my team, um, you know, not infrequently. So um, one of the leaders in um, safety critical systems, Sydney Decker, always encourages managers to you know, ask their staff, what's the stupidest thing that we ask you to do? And that often gives you um, lots of insight into where clinicians are wasting their time um, where we can do some improvements to free up their time so they can get back to, um, you know, for me, a labouring mother's side. Um, so, you know, an example of that was, um, you know, a few years ago, my team came to me and said, you know, we've been, we're now using an electronic medical record, but um, during second stage when mum's pushing and, um, you know, things get very intense, the midwife would have to take three steps away, put in information into the computer and then go back to the mum's side. 
Um, it just didn't fit with the philosophy. It didn't work with their flow. They um, didn't like it as part of their day-to-day -day work. So, um, you know, initial initial requests um, were denied, but we did get to a point where we found the right person and we were able to push for uh, um, going back to paper just for second stage which means the midwife can be by the mum's side no matter where she is because women don't always labour on the bed, um, which is convenient. Um, so it was a really great example of us being able to listen to the staff and make a, a great improvement that improved their work life and probably improves birth outcomes and experiences for women. Michael, one of the, seems like one of the really important aspects of this uh, program that we haven't talked about is the leadership element. Uh, I'd be interested to know how do you how do you teach improvement? You know, is it a mindset shift, and and what for you is the value of teaching young clinicians how to improve? We sort of have this philosophy that if you want to improve systems, you need to understand systems, and that's I guess probably the foundation of of our program and approach. So we spend a lot of time building an awareness of systems. There's a huge field of system science out there, um, again, outside of healthcare, um, that's evolved over the last century or more, um, that can be highly informative of how we can approach complex problems in complex systems. And as you said earlier, healthcare is exceedingly complex. Um, and have we been taking the systems approach to healthcare that we should. Um, you know, we, we drew on the um, industrial process engineering approaches to system improvement from Toyota and Motorola with their Lean and Six Sigma processes. Are they really appropriate to apply to these socio-technical systems where there's people in the sociological context mixing with technology? Um, outside of healthcare and outside of industrial process engineering, that space is rich with opportunity. Um, and these, I guess, you know, there's there's been thinking on how this can be done and, and methodologies and tools that can be applied to this type of system. So we try to shift that paradigm from we're not a mechanistic system. Some of our conventional approaches are good, effective, and have yield benefits in safety, but um, shift those tools aside. Let's build another. Let's 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 extend your toolkit and extend your knowledge of systems and know which tools to use when. It's not about moving on from the old and bringing in the new, it's about adding to our toolkit because they all bring value in the right system. Um, that takes a bit of time to deprogram because healthcare is somewhat indoctrinated in the way it does things. And if I was to be a bit bold, we've become a little bit stagnant in progress in that space and rested on um, you know, what we landed upon 20 years ago and a sort of, um, Sitting, sitting in, in that space. Um, so we ha and so we spend time in you know, deprogramming, then reprogramming on how to think about this, and then um, start to teach those skills and tools that might be required. Um, what's the value of doing it? Well, change doesn't happen overnight. We know change is hard. Um, we've, we're playing the long game, but we want to create that tipping point where we get to a system where more where the majority of people are thinking this way. Um, so investing in junior leaders now is an important, uh, important um, step because in 10 to 20 years time, the leaders in our system will be thinking this way. And we'll also, we're working on 
training junior clinicians and even students before they come in um, in these ways of thinking. So we'll have a, I guess, a um, critical mass at some stage where it becomes a dominant approach and we've achieved a paradigm shift. Yeah, ideally you're you're teaching it in the first instance, you're teaching it in medical school, so you're not having to reprogram, right? Or, or medical or um, physio schools or nursing or wherever it is, right? I think all the colleges that feed in, you know, eventually our goal would be that there's some sort of curriculum that sits on this space. Yeah, look, one of my key reflections um, uh, going through the fellowship so far has been, I wish I knew the stuff earlier in my career. You know, I've been um, even at an undergraduate level because I've been, I've spent 20 years working and I can see now see the errors I've made in doing quality improvement projects that I've done in the past. And so, um, you know, it, it changing thinking is challenging, um, but getting in early, I think, is, is such a key because um, trying to unlearn the things that are culturally ingrained in the healthcare system we work on is, is really hard. And, and my colleagues work in the same way. So now that I'm sort of doing the fellowship but working with, with my colleagues who, who, who are still working in that way, it's challenging to change their way of thinking. You know, you don't often think about how you walk or breathe. And if you want to change it, it takes intention and a lot of practice. And um, that's what you're trying to change. That's what I'm trying to change in my own thinking and those of my colleagues. Can you give us a sort of light bulb yes moment when it all came together and you thought, oh, this is this is what I should be doing, or this is this makes such a difference? Or one of the things that we did um, earlier on this year through the fellowship is to to reflect back on a uh, you know a quality improvement or project that we had done in the past and and how we might um, look at it differently now that we're learning what we've learned and and that was eye opening for me because um, you know we were looking at a a program there we were looking at tele rehabilitation how we could do complex seating using um, telehealth and um, and uh, when I put forward the the, the project I, you know set up the budget and things about all the infrastructure that we would need and um, a bit of the time that we would need to get um, protocols set up and the likes and um, and really when when reflecting back on that um, uh, that project um, I thought I had everything that I needed to know about how to make this project successful but um, understanding things about um, improvement science uh, and um, implementation science made it very clear to me how there were big, big holes in my understanding about how to get, uh, how to see improvement done well. Um, and uh, I've been able to go back to the people that were involved in that project and have a very good uh, open and frank uh, conversation with them about, hey, we did it this way and gee, we, we missed some opportunities there. And maybe that's why it didn't work out as well as we had hoped. You know, we had the best of intentions, um, but uh, we could have got um, different results. But I think that's what we need to be able to do. You know, we have to just say that um, we're learners. We're, we're, we need to keep learning and, um, and not shy away from the fact that we're going to make mistakes. And as long as we learn from them, um, it's going to be better for, um, better for the health system. People working in healthcare, all of us, we're, we're trying to improve stuff. Um, and we're just trying to do it the best way we know how. But um, often that can, that can actually eat up a lot of um, resource. Um, and um, I think one of the fellows coined, you know, that sometimes we can be victims of improvement because everyone's trying to improve things in ways that might not be helpful. And you might get unintended consequences or modest gains, uh, or wasted resources. So understanding how to do things differently that, that actually harness the enthusiasm and the desire that people have to find better ways of understanding complex systems we work in. And in so doing, you know, we think more broadly about the interactions that occur as we seek um, improvement in the system that we're working in. So 
you know, they're all light bulb moments for me because um, I'm still going to be trying to help improve the system, but I just feel like I'm better prepared now. And um, uh, in terms of how to do it better. <laughs> While I was doing the fellowship um, after a career like Shale, 20 years of improving, I felt a lot of um, cognitive dissonance around um, the work that I'd done and how am I going to use all of this new information, a socio-technical system? It felt overwhelming to try and improve things. But um, the, the thing about the system is that you don't know what's going to take off. And I think my key moment was, um, you know, learning. We have to keep probing the system, looking at what's working, what's not, and responding quickly. I think what we've tended to do in healthcare is um, a quality improvement project. We start, we stop. We walk away from it and we don't look at it again. But what we need to do is be really reactive and look at what works. And if it doesn't work, then we drop it. It's, um, you know, what was really freeing for me was that I'm not in control. The system is ready or it's not. There's path dependencies. There's emergence from the system. And, um, you know, I can't, you know, a midwife in town, so I can't be expected to be in control of that. So that was a light bulb moment for me that, it was kind of freeing and, and got me to, um, you know, keep going with improvement. Do you communicate to, you know, more junior midwives around uh, what are some of the messages you tell them about improvement? I get to talk to some medical students. I do a leadership presentation to medical students every two months. And um, I give them a very, very broad complexity, two-hour session, but it's just introducing them to concepts and ideas and, um, I want them to understand that we have to understand problems deeply and work out what's happening in the system and look at feedback loops and try and use system dynamics to lead to improvements. And um, it's always really well received. And these are uh, medical students are about to graduate and they haven't heard of this work before. And I'm hoping that we can keep permeating the system so um, all of our new graduates will come out understanding the system that they're working in so they don't have to wait 20 years like Shale and I to start learning these lessons. So what do we what do we need for the future? How do you see leaders shaping the future in improvement in quality and safety? Um, sorry I'll start with you. Um, well my hope is that we um, keep going with some of the um, relationship building and bringing, you know, experts in safety critical industries into healthcare and learning from them. Um, I've been involved in a project from Satchin Chari um, this year, um, which was encouraging clinicians to use different models. And um, we used Aximap in Townsville for, a, I, I got to use one for a clinical incident review. And um, the, um, the way it helped us think about the the clinical incident gave us lots of insight into the deeper issues at play and how uh, how clinicians, we usually get things really, really right. And we usually provide excellent, safe, high quality care. And um, the way we can improve the system is by um, making it easier for clinicians to do their work and looking at some of the high level system improvements that can make it um, safer for our patients. Jill, how about you? Yeah, look, I'm um, I'm excited and enthusiastic about you know putting this stuff into practice, but um, uh, in a safe way. <laughs> but um, I think that um, 
you know, we need, we do need to look at safety differently. And that's something that um, how to make that happen at a local level, you know, moving away from blaming people, writing more policies and procedures and increasing barriers to stop incidents from happening, all of that stuff that has been part of um, the way in which, uh, you know, I've grown up in the healthcare system, you know, um, we need to, I think, be able to see that um, people doing the work at a local level, they're the, the solutions to the problems that we have on the front line and encouraging encouraging them to have agency to find solutions is a big part of that. Um, so asking them the questions of, how, you know, how do we do this better? How do we do this um, differently is, um, uh, is got to be a key component of that and, and uh, allowing people to, to, to learn from what's gone on before and, and keep learning by um, cycling through those um, trial and error sort of ways of, um, of learning. So we need to be constantly learning, but we need leaders who build a culture of improvement, I guess. I think the leadership aspect's really important. I think um, traditionally we've picked up a leadership book and we've given it to emerging healthcare leaders and we've said, this is everything you need to know. But when it's a complex adaptive system, there's no leadership model that tells you how to negotiate a complex adaptive system. So we've really got to broaden um, leadership's understanding of the system that we're working in and it's not as easy as teaching someone to have difficult conversations and how to bring in a lean model um, or six sigma we've got to give uh, leaders a broad toolbox to work in the system that we're working in and finally michael well to finish us up here what changes do you want to see for the future of patient safety i think as a system we need to start to really take an introspective look and challenge what we're doing um, and, and really try and think outside the box about how we might um, shift into these new spaces that can inform improvements in safety and quality. Um, you know, we're really about frontline or clinician-led um, improvement and empowering those clinicians um, to have the, the knowledge, skills and, and space to make meaningful change that's fit for their for their context, as opposed to what are often mandated top-down changes to the system that frequently have a mismatch to the real work as it's done. So leadership in this space would be about really pulling, de-bureaucratizing um, the improvement space. It can be a heavily bureaucratized process. Take the focus away often from economic benefits and, and, and look at the outcomes that um, are very patient-centred and, and even clinician-centred that, as Sari said, you know, help them get their work done better. Um, so strip away the barriers to improvement and then create the conditions and nurture that capacity for the frontline and hand over that ownership. And, you know, we saw this in COVID, so we have the capability to do it. Um, when things got tough in March, April last year, there was no time and to respond and there's a whole deal of uncertainty and a whole stance changed from a, you know, project management approach to change to we had bureaucracy actively asking us where the barriers to you change in your environment that's fit for purpose for a COVID model or COVID world. Um, Tell us where to pull things away so you can get on and get that done. And they really handed over the reins for change. And we saw huge system changes happen, which was really exciting. Um, and people felt that buzz. And, and I think at all levels, and that sort of what drove that, we can't go back to the new normal. Um, I fear that we may have snapped back to a new normal, but um, we've had a taste for it and we can do it. 
and it's safe and it's and the systems aren't going to fall down when we when we flip that 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 hierarchy of of ownership on change so for me that's the approach that we should head to and i think the the system sciences inform that as well when you look at them through a leadership context so i want to extend a huge thank you to my guests today michael tresillian sorry holland and Shail maharaj wearing wearing my patient hat on behalf of all patients uh, I, I really want to thank you for your commitment to improvement and therefore you know safer care for all of us and and as well as for taking the time with us today to highlight the importance of quality and safety improvement and of, of building leaders in this for the future so thank you thanks susan it's been great thanks susan appreciate it thanks susan it's been great and thank you for listening to Taking Care. Please don't forget to find us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you prefer to listen to podcasts. Uh, by searching for Taking Care, you can subscribe, you can review, or just join us on your morning walk as you listen to our hefty back catalog. If you have any feedback or ideas for episodes, please drop us a line at communications at opera.gov.au, and we'll see you next time.